And Happy New Year. Has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Every 365 or 366 days on leap years, we not only turn over a calendar month, but to a whole new year. And we do that. And as we do that, there's a sense of hope that comes with it. It really, though, doesn't make a lot of sense to me that we do it in January. I mean, think about it. We live in western Pennsylvania. What's really the big difference between December and January? It's still winter, right? Back in the ancient world, they actually had New Year's in March. To me, that makes a lot more sense. Spring starts in March. You know, the leaves come back on the trees, grass gets green, flowers pop up. It seems like a new year. So why January? Well, there was an astronomer named Sosogenes who convinced Julius Caesar in 46 BC to use the solar calendar instead of the old way of doing it. So since 46 BC, we have celebrated New Year's on January 1st. Now, if you want to know more about all that, history.com is where you can go. So here we are. It's January 2nd. It's the beginning of a new year. Most of us at the beginning of a new year do something. We look back over the last year and we say, did I accomplish what I wanted to? What did I leave undone? And then we look forward to that blank slate, in this case of 2022, with anticipation. What are we going to do differently this year? Is 2022 going to be more like 2021 or 2019? Or is it going to be a whole new year like none that we've ever had before? Here at New Life, we use the new year to begin our new year with prayer and fasting. In fact, 21 days of prayer and fasting, as I said, it's called All Things New. We got that name, All Things New, from today's scripture. It comes from Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. When Jesus revealed the future, the ultimate future, to John back around the turn of the, of the first Christian century, he told him something very important. He promised something. He didn't just say. He promised that he was making all things new. As Jesus' followers When we take the opportunity to look forward to the new year, we don't just have to look forward to a new year, 365 days, but we get to look forward to forever. We closed out 21 by reminding ourselves and emphasizing Jesus is going to return and we want to be ready when that time comes. So in this series, we are going to investigate what it means that all things will be made new. Today I'm going to talk about what it means whenever the new heaven and the new earth come. Then next week we're going to talk about what it means to have new spirits or renewed spirits. The next week we're going to talk about new souls, and the S-O-U-L-S, okay, in the inside of our uh, what is mind, emotion, and wills. And then the next week I'm going to talk about new bodies. I think they assigned that one to me because I raised my hand and said, I want a new body. So anyway, we're going to talk about new bodies. And then the final week of the series, we're going to talk about heaven and hell and about the celebration that goes on in heaven every time one person trusts Jesus as Savior and Lord. So let's get started by looking at one of Jesus' most powerful promises. It really makes up today's take-home point, and if you're new here, the take-home point is the one point that I'll be making from the Scripture that we want to take home, reflect on, and live out in the week ahead. So here it is. Jesus will make all things new. Now, it's underlined in all capital letters for a very important reason, because it's certain. Jesus made hundreds of promises, and He's kept every single promise He ever made except for one the one to come back and make everything new. What we know is because he kept all of his other promises, it's certain that he is coming back. He is going to make good on this promise. So we're going to look into Revelation 21, 1 to 8, and see what Jesus said about what it's going to be like whenever that moment comes. Before we do that, let's pray once more. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for all of Jesus' promises, the promise of new life, the promise that we get to start over again, the promise of forgiveness, so many promises. And God, we thank you for this promise, 
that one day we will be with you forever. And we pray, God, today as we look into Revelation 21, that you will open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, to see what you want us to see and to be empowered by your Spirit to live out that new life every single moment this, this year. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, I'm going to ask you to get them out. You know, that's something that's pretty important. We have a a Bible, and and not every place gets to have Bibles, but if you have yours with you or you have a Bible app, I would encourage you to get out and turn there to Revelation 21, 1 to 8. If you don't have it, it's okay. It'll be on the screen. We're going to look sort of verse by verse, maybe a couple verses at a time, at these eight vital verses that tell us about the ultimate future. So John was receiving, John the Apostle was receiving this revelation from Jesus himself. And it says, John said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. So John records something that's incredible. And yet he says it sort of matter-of-factly. Yeah, there was a new heaven, there was a new earth, the sea was gone. But what is it going to be like when that happens? I mean, for us, it's a future thing. What will it be like when there's a new heaven, there's a new earth, when there's no more sea? What's that going to be like? Now, before I get started, let me tell you something. No one knows for sure exactly what John's statement about the coming of a new heaven and a new earth means. I mean, if you have a pastor who stands up and tells you they know exactly what's going to happen, I would say you should run away like your hair's on fire because nobody knows exactly What's going to happen when the new heaven and the new earth comes? So, in fact, the very first word of the book of Revelation in Greek is apocalypsis. Apocalypsis is two Greek words. Apo means from or out of and lupsis, which means hiding. So what John is being told by Jesus is he's bringing stuff out of hiding or revealing it, right? So that's why it's called the book of Revelation in English because we are going to be receiving revelation of what's going to happen in that moment when God returns. And we don't know for sure what it's going to be like, but Jesus gives us some more ideas. In verse 2, it says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So the center of the new earth is Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. And notice the metaphorical language that Jesus uses. He says, it's going to be like a bride. What does that mean? Well, I don't know exactly what it means, but I do know this. I did three weddings in the last three months of of 2021, and I know what happens when the bride comes down the aisle. Every eye turns to the bride. And that's what John is being told by Jesus, that when the Jerusalem comes down, the new Jerusalem, every eye is going to be focused because that's going to be the center of our new life with God. So next, John goes back and focuses on the heaven that is in existence at that moment, and here's what he, read, he sees. It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. So this is the central reality of our future as God's people. God will be with us and we will belong to him. When Jesus was ready to return to heaven after he had risen from the dead, he made a promise. He said, I will be with you always even to the close of the age. And he has been. He has been with each and every believer in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But one day, what he promises here is he will be with us tangibly, physically, and we who belong to him will be part of that reality where God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, we're going to be able to see them. We're going to be able to be with them. And we're going to belong to them forever. So I titled this message, I Can Only Imagine. 
You might have heard the song, I Can Only Imagine. It's about a guy picturing what it's going to be like when he basically wakes up in heaven and he sees Jesus for the very first time. What's going to happen? He says, I don't know if I'm going to stand up and raise my hands. I don't know if I'm going to bow down. I don't know if I'm going to be singing praise or if I'm not going to be able to say anything. We don't know exactly what it's like, but we do know that John tells us when that day comes, God is going to be with us forever. And you might be thinking, why are we focusing on this? It hasn't happened for 2,000 years. Why are we making such a big deal about it now? Well, each of us is going to see all things be made new after this one and only physical life if Jesus is Savior and Lord in our lives. You know, people around the world have imagined different things for what happens when we die. Some people believe that when we die physically, that's it. We're sort of like electronic devices, you know, when the power's gone, that's it. We're just thrown on the junk pile. Some people believe we're recycled. They call it reincarnation, that we just keep coming back over and over and over and over again. But Jesus' followers imagine a permanent future with Him, with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And here's how John recorded some of the details of what that's going to be like. He wrote, He, he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. I've always loved those words, but I never love them more than when somebody I love dies to this life who knows Jesus because I know they're going to experience what we just talked about. There are four things that Revelation 21.4 reminds us about that we will never experience again in the next life. Number one, death. No more death. No more cemeteries. No more sorrow. No more crying. No more pain. No hospitals in heaven. I don't know if you ever thought about what there won't be in heaven. No hospitals. No cemeteries. No drugstores. No lots of things that we have in this life to eradicate and eliminate pain. Notice God's personal touch at the beginning of the process. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I don't know if you had a good mother like I did, but when I was a little kid and I'd scrape the knee, my mother, you know, tears come down and my mother would just wipe those tears away. And that's what, that kind of personal touch from God will be in our lives. And you know, God did not intend for any of us to experience death or crying, or sorrow, or pain. It wasn't part of his original intention. We are the ones who introduced all of those things when we rebelled against God. We introduced them by saying, I want to be God, instead of God being God. When people say death is a natural part of life, I say, no, no, death is not a natural part of life. Death is a natural part of a fallen world. And it will only last for a period of time. And then death will be overcome by life forever. When the new heaven and the new earth come, no one in it will die, will be sad, will cry, or will have any pain. And some hear those words and go, oh, that's just pie in the sky and the by and by. No, that's a promise from the lips of the living God, Jesus Christ. So next come the words on which the series is based. It says, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. So Jesus is making everything or all things new. When we look around and we see this world, we see a world that's broken. It's old. It's filled with depression and anger and death and pain and all the things that we're told are not going to be here anymore. But, you know, it might seem like a dream to imagine everything being made new and none of those painful things being part of our lives. Back in 1971, anybody alive back in 1971? Okay. John Lennon wrote a song. It was called Imagine. And here were the first words. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. In Lenin's imaginary world, everyone lives for today. That's it. No more, nobody worries about any country or any cause or, or any religion. In Lenin's imaginary world, all those things that no one thought about anymore would lead to, believe it or not, 
peace, and harmony. After laying out such a world, Lenin's chorus proclaimed, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Now that world that Lenin portrayed and proclaimed is a dream. World peace and unity, those are universal thoughts. Everybody wants to have them. But you realize they're never going to happen aside from the grace and goodness of God in Jesus Christ. People aren't going to give up possessions. People aren't going to give up greed and power and all those things just because we dream about it. John the Apostle saw a world where there was no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. A real world that's coming. A new heaven and a new earth. That world is real. The difference between John Lennon's wish dream and the new heaven and new earth is Lennon's dream was based on what? The goodness of humanity. Think about that. He actually believed that people were going to get better and better and better, evolve, if you will, to become so good there would be peace everywhere. Sort of ironic when you think about it because nine years later, anybody know what happened to John Lennon? He was shot and killed outside of his home in that perfect world that he was hoping would someday come. And it will never come by human effort. The picture that John the Apostle gave us is not a wish dream. It's a promise. After seeing and hearing about it, here's what happened next. It says, And then he, that is Jesus, said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. So we have these words of promise because Jesus told John to write them down, and he did. And after John, people copied them and copied them and copied them for hundreds of years until printing presses were invented. And then they were printed for hundreds of years until we got other means like You know, our phone now has our Bible in it, right? But it's preserved for us. And because of that, these words continue to give us hope and guidance in a world where human beings do experience death and sorrow and crying and pain every day. So after directing John to record what he had seen and heard, Jesus continued. He said, and he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. So when Jesus said, it is finished, I picture John in his mind going back to a time earlier when Jesus was hanging on the cross. And the last words from Jesus on the cross were, it is finished. And he didn't mean it's finally over. I don't have to suffer anymore. He meant it's finished. I came here to conquer sin and death, and I just did. When Jesus died on the cross, he took away sin and death. He rose from the dead to show the power that he has to give us new life. And yes, we are still experiencing death in this world. Sorrow, pain, crying. Those things are still here. We don't yet have what Jesus promised in all its fullness. But because of Jesus' death on the cross, because of his resurrection, his return to heaven, and sending the Holy Spirit, we get a glimpse of it here and there every single day in our lives as we live with Jesus as Savior and Lord. So we don't have the abundant life in all of its fullness that Jesus promised, but one day we are going to. Right now we do have the water of life, that is the Holy Spirit, coursing through our lives. But one day we will get to drink the literal water of life in the new heaven and the new earth. So everything John wrote leads us to verses 7 and 8. This is really important because these promises that we've just been reading about, they're not for everybody. They're only for those who are victorious. Look what it says in verse 7. All who are victorious will inherit all these things, all these blessings, and I will be their God and they will be my children. 
So the blessings we read about are an inheritance. Just as any inheritance is passed down to the children, we get to be the children of God and we get to live in God's presence. Now we are already children of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. But one day we'll be the children of God because we stand in God's presence. We will be with him forever. That's what he says, if we're victorious. But only the victorious experience this inheritance. Well, what does it mean to be victorious? We're not exactly told, but we are told in verse 8 what it means not to be victorious. It says, but cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt murderers, the moral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So look at the list. It contains some pretty nasty characters, right? Murderers, idolaters, witches. But it also includes, it includes some people that we might think aren't that really that bad. Cowards, liars, corrupt. You know, the, the reason is we sub, that we think there are different kinds of sin is we subscribe to what I've always called the line theory. So we believe that there's a line. There are bad, line, bad, bad ends down there. This is sort of the middle. That's the good end up there. And we can say at any given time where we are. Murderers, obviously, are at the bad end. Now, liars probably here a little bit this side of the line, right? But you know where all of us put ourselves? <laughs> this side of the line. In fact, I talk to people and they, you know what? Everybody tells me I'm better than most people. Everybody can't be better than most people. Statistically, it's impossible, right? It's just not possible. But anyway, Jesus told us through John that the cowards, that the ones who denied him and everyone else on the list in verse 8 are not going to be part of the new heaven and the new earth. And where, where death and sorrow and crying and pain are banished. So what is going to happen to them? They're going to go to the place that John Lennon asked us to imagine doesn't exist. But imagining that there's no hell or no lake of fire is like going outside and imagining that it's 82 degrees. It's not. You know, just because we imagine something doesn't make it happen. It's only true if it's actually valid and true. So the news of the new heaven and the new earth is incredibly good news for the victorious, but it's not good news for those who aren't. So working hard to be victorious is not the answer. Making a new, new Year's resolution or two to, to be victorious is not the answer. Imagining that you're victorious is not the answer. It's not the solution, right? So what is? Jesus. Jesus is the solution. His blood shed on the cross paid the penalty for all human sin. Whether we realize it or not, there's no good sinner. Like, lying is just as bad as murder. Being a coward is just as bad as doing idolatry. As far as God is concerned, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of His glory. So only by Jesus standing between God the Father and us, interceding for us by His blood, are we part of the victorious. Now I'm excited right now about the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Now, I'm not excited because I think that because we pray or fast for 21 days that God is going to, you know, give us a gold star in our forehead, that we're going to be better Christians than we were before we started the 21 days. I'm excited because when we go through 21 days of prayer and fasting, it makes us physically weak. And physically weak means that God has promised to be with us. And when we're weak, then He is strong in us. It means that we'll depend more on Him than on ourselves during this time. I'm excited because the Holy Spirit, that river of living water, will be with us to sustain us during these 21 days. One day we are going to experience 
we are going to experience the new heaven and the new earth where that living water flows literally and we can drink from it. But today we get to experience the blessings of Jesus' strength and power in us when we're weak. In the new year, we can experience a glimpse of the new heaven and the new earth every time that we depend on Jesus, on the Holy Spirit, on God the Father to carry us through those difficult and challenging times that we face. Because there is going to be death, there is going to be crying, there is going to be pain and sorrow until the new heaven and the new earth come. Our part is to train in godliness. Paul told us that in 1 Timothy chapter 4. What is training? Training is simply practicing something over and over and over again until it becomes part of who we are. It gives us the ability to do things that we can't do now later on. My, my friend and mentor, Arthur Pace, who's a retired colonel in the U.S. military, said the only difference between a soldier and a civilian is training. The only difference between a victorious follower of Jesus and one who is going to be in that other list is, first of all, the grace of God in Jesus Christ, and then training ourselves up in godliness as we live. So that's, with that in mind, here's today's next step. And for those of you who are new, the next step is the one thing that we're going to do as a result of being here and listening to this message. So it is this, I will live in the hope of everything being made new this week. I will live in the hope of everything being made new this week. So, I like dictionary.com's definition of hope. It's this, the feeling that what is wanted can be had. Now, as followers of Jesus, we get to change one word. It's not a feeling. Hope is the assurance that what is wanted can be had. It doesn't matter how we feel. My guess is that any of us who actually do fast for 21 days are going to feel a little weak uh, from time to time. We'll actually be weak from time to time. It won't just be a feeling. And the reality is, in the true sense of the word, when we're hoping in Jesus, there will be an assurance that whatever happens, He is leading us, guiding us, empowering us, that we are victorious. And we know right now, we get to hope in all of those things. Why? Because Jesus always keeps His promises. He only has one left to fulfill. And he's going to fulfill that one too. Amen? Amen. So right now, I'm going to speak to a certain group of people in the church family. You who maybe at this point in your life have heard this message and said, I don't know if I'm in that victorious group. Maybe I'm in that other list, you know, the, the one that starts with the cowards. I, I don't know. Well, you don't have to not know. We can know if we're victorious because our victory is not ours, as I've said. It's Jesus' victory in us. So here at New Life, we say it's very simple, although not easy, to have Jesus be Lord and Savior in our life, to have that new life that he promised. It's as simple as A, B, C. A is admit. We admit we're on the list, the coward list, the liar list, the murderer list, whatever the list, is, I mean, whatever sin it is, we've done something to break our relationship with God. We admit that. That's the first thing we need to do. B, we believe that what Jesus said is true, that he is the son of the living God, that he came from heaven to earth. He lived the only perfect life ever lived. And then he died on the cross. He finished sin and death and he rose from the dead and returned to heaven so that we can have a new life now and forever. And then C, we confess Jesus as Savior and Lord and we commit our lives to living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Confessing Jesus simply means to say that we agree that he is the one who gives us the victory. We're not victorious in our own. It's not going to be anything we do. 
It's by what he's already done that our lives change. So if you need that in your life right now, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And, and it's a very simple prayer. And you, I'm going to pray as if I'm you and you can just pray along with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I have not lived a perfect life. I believe what we talked about today, that Jesus is your son, that he is Lord, owner of my life right now. He is savior, rescuer from from my sin and, and from the death that I face. And I confess him right now as my savior and Lord. And I commit my life to living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you every step of this day and of this new year. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.